0: This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran
1: Church, Missouri Synod.
0: Today on World Lutheran News Digest...
1: I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Forty-five years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand with the infamous Roe v. Wade decision. Since then, nearly 60 million babies have been aborted. One of the arguments used by abortion advocates to justify legalizing abortion were the number of abortion-related deaths of women illegally undergoing the procedure. Groups frequently cited the figure of 5,000 to 10,000 deaths annually due to illegal abortions. Since the 1973 ruling, the truth came out. The figure cited by abortion advocates was made up. Not only was the figure disputed by the Centers for Disease Control and the National Academy of Sciences and Medicine, but the author of the 5,000 figure later admitted it wasn't true. How did this happen? Researcher and writer Carol Novielli looked into that very question. She's my guest today on World Lutheran News Digest.
0: And now, today's Fast Track...
1: A U.S. Air Force colonel and devout Christian suspended and denied promotion after refusing to affirm same-sex marriage has won a legal appeal to reverse his disciplinary actions. Colonel Leland Bohannon was restored to his military position and good standing, the Air Force Review Board's agency announced Monday. Bohannon was disciplined in August of last year for refusing to sign a certificate of spouse appreciation for a retiring airman in a same-sex marriage. Bohannon was due for promotion to Brigadier General prior to the discipline. First Liberty Institute and others filed a lawsuit Monday with the United States District Court for the District of Columbia on behalf of Oscar Rodriguez Jr. and Charles Robertson, alleging that Air Force officials violated the religious liberty of both when uniformed airmen abruptly interrupted a flag-folding ceremony at Robertson's retirement and then allegedly assaulted Rodriguez before he could use the word God in a flag-folding speech. After the incident, Air Force officials clarified that scripts containing religious language may be used during flag-folding ceremonies. However, First Liberty was forced to file a lawsuit when officials refused to apologize to Rodriguez for the assault, to Robertson for ruining the only retirement ceremony he'd ever have, and to make sure other members of the armed forces know their religious liberty is protected as well. Attorneys for the city of Baltimore have asked the Supreme Court to review a unanimous decision handed down in January by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals that defeated the city's attack on Greater Baltimore's Center for Pregnancy Concerns. That's a pregnancy help center. The three-judge panel affirmed a 2016 ruling by a U.S. district judge that a Baltimore ordinance targeting pregnancy care centers violate the First Amendment, precisely the position taken by the opponents of the ordinance. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments last month in a California case very similar to what happened in Baltimore. Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court rejected a request by attorneys from the Thomas More Society and their co-counsel that it decide the case of David DeLayden, the undercover journalist who exposed Planned Parenthood's involvement in the commercial trafficking of aborted babies' body parts. In DeLayden et al. versus National Abortion Federation, the nation's highest court had been asked to overturn a lower court's injunction that barred DeLayden from releasing hundreds of hours of still more videos, videos that would both politically be embarrassing and potentially incriminating for Planned Parenthood and other abortionists. It was 50 years ago today that the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. King was the leader of the nonviolent civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s. His confessed killer, James Earl Ray, died in prison. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean
0: you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home, or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, we proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.
1: This is World Lutheran News Digest. This is Semirne Literansky Novus. I'm Kip Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is Ms. Carol Novelli. Now, Ms. Novelli has been Doing research into the abortion industry and pro-life movement now for more than 30 years and she's assisted in a variety of pro-life organizations with her research and her work's been published in a number of national pro-life publications she currently does research with live-action in addition to writing for live-action I've asked Ms. Novelli on this program specifically because of an article she wrote that is titled how many women really died from illegal abortion prior to Roe v. Wade and boy is that an interesting question so, Ms. Novelli, uh, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into the uh, the meat of the subject here.
2: Great. Thank you for having me on, Kip. Well, as uh, as you just said, I've been in the pro-life movement for quite a long time. Um, I came into it when I was about 19, believe it or not, and um, started getting interested in doing research and became quickly aware <laughs> of how the media would portray the pro-life movement. And I wanted to be able to document the facts of our movement. And that kind of led me into doing research. And so since then, I've done research on everything from, you know, abortion injuries to the eugenics movement uh, to the sexual child sexual um, cover-up of Planned Parenthood, how they failed to report child sexual abuse and um, to the history of our movement as I'm, I'm starting to kind of delve into that a little bit further right now. And that's what leads us uh, to to today's program on the deaths from illegal abortions prior to those.
1: Well, I have a, uh, a, uh, a professional interest in this over and above the, the fact. That I am indeed pro-life. Back when I was a young reporter, uh, shortly after Roe v. Wade decision came down, I remember I did a news story, and I used the figure that I believe it was like 6,000 women had died in the year prior to Roe v. Wade from illegal abortion. And I truly believe that that was the case. Now I find out that number was made up. What did we find out about? How did you find out about this, and what have you found out about these? Uh, the actual figures?
2: Some of us have known about this for a little while because of the uh, writings and the, the speeches of uh, former NARAL founder NAREL is the National Abortion Rights Action League—Bernard uh, Nathanson. Um, Dr. Nathanson was an abortionist in, in the early days of, of legalization— and he helped to found Naral with a man by the name of Larry Later, and for the sole purpose of, of legalizing abortion in the country. And Nathanson talks about that five thousand to ten thousand uh, abortion deaths prior to Roe quite often, and admits that it was fabricated. Um, the number, some say, came from a study that was done in the nineteen thirties where according to those that have have looked at it. I have not actually delved delved into that study, but people who have say that the the number was highly, you know, overestimated. And so when, in the 1960s, when Bernard Nathanson and NARAL came along, they knew that the number, in fact, uh, if I could just walk that back for a moment, the man in the 1930s that came out with the study in 1942 actually came out later and said that, yes, those were overestimated numbers. And so Nathanson admitted that they knew that the numbers were inflated, and yet they continued to feed those numbers to the media. And of course, the media did their part in trying to put that forward so that they you know, they could help change public perception about abortion and therefore get abortion legalized by not questioning the numbers. So the whole goal behind putting those numbers forward was To change public perception, the lie was was put forward to to try to legalize abortion at a time when most of the public wasn't interested in legalizing it.
1: Well, not only that, I mean the the numbers were not just fictitious. I mean they were grossly fictitious. I mentioned in my uh, news story back then I used the uh, figure six thousand, and that number has been bandied about, of course, by the pro-life. Pardon me, by the pro-abortion movement, but. For example, Planned Parenthood's former affiliate, the Gutenbacher Institute, said that by 1965, when abortion was still illegal, the number of deaths due to illegal abortion was was less than 200. Less than 200.
2: Right. And, of course, we've, we've learned from um, Alan Guttmacher himself, who was a former president of Planned Parenthood, that the numbers were uh, much lower. In fact... Guttmacher Institute says even in the 1930s when this figure was supposedly originally invented that the numbers were in the in the couple of thousand of women, women died a year. Uh, what happened after that was in the 1940s the numbers dropped to between 1,400 and 1,700 women a year. But also in the 1940s we saw the introduction of antibiotics mm. um, and then penicillin came along and then the medical uh, community was doing a whole lot of um, advances in how to control infection and medical emergency care. And so it really and truly what the numbers show us is that it was not legalization that, quote-unquote, reduced the number of women dying from, from abortion, but it was, in fact, the introduction of antibiotics and the ability to control infection, because by the 1950s, we saw the numbers drastically reduced to somewhere over 300, and as you said, by the 1960s, just under 200. And then, interestingly enough, when the CDC started to look into the numbers in 1972, when they really started to delve into scrutinizing the numbers, they found, and of course, 1972 is the year just prior to the Roe versus Wade decision, they found that just 39 women had died from illegal abortions. But also they found that because There were several states that had legalized abortion prior to Roe. In fact, the first state, Colorado, legalized it in 1967. They found that 24 women had died from legal abortion. The CDC also tells us that when they looked at statistics for New York alone, New York legalized abortion in 1970. They did not see a difference between the mortality rates of of deaths between legalization and and illegalization, I should say. Um, They didn't see much of a difference. And so the lie is that somehow thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of women were were just being killed by these uh, back alley abortionists and coat hanger abortions and so forth and so on. And therefore, we needed to, you know, the abortion industry needed to awaken the sympathies and the empathy of the uh, American public to push for legalization. And it, it worked. I mean, we saw that. Uh, even in New York, we had uh, we have an assemblyman who told the uh, Charles um, uh, Michaels, I believe was his name. He was a Democrat, and he was voting against the legalization of abortion in his state because he saw he, he found that voting for it was a career ender for him. Um, but just prior to that vote on the floor in the 1970s, um, he later admitted that one of his uh, relatives came to him and said, "Look, if if we continue on this." Route, you're going to be responsible for the mutilation deaths of hundreds of thousands of women because the statistic was out there. It it really scared the public, and so Michaels was really hoping that somebody else would, you know, vote and he wouldn't have to be the person that 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 swayed the legislator to legalize abortion. But in the end, it came to a tie, and what ended up happening was, before, of course, he admits this in the LA Times in a later interview, but when the clerk. Uh, right before the clerk read the vote, and he had voted to to continue to keep it illegal, he asked the speaker, "May I change my vote?" Ooh. And he, on the floor of the of the assembly, changed his vote to legalize abortion, and one vote swayed. So that that grossly inflated statistic swayed the um, the the New York assembly to vote for legalization.
1: One thing I think the American public tends to forget, is just how recent antibiotics really came onto the scene. It wasn't until World War II. Right. And uh, I think, you're, you're, you, as you pointed out, what was killing women was infection. And it didn't matter whether it was illegal or, or, or legal. It was just that the the medicine did not exist to fight these infections.
2: Correct. And not only did the use of antibiotics bring down the disease, uh, the, the mortality death rate of women from illegal abortions, but it brought down the mortality death rate across the board for women who, you know, um, who were of childbearing age. And so we saw, you know, that overall it brought it down. But the other thing that we see that the abortion industry sort of, you know, let us uh, get a peek into was the fact that, the majority of abortions were actually being performed by physicians.
1: Ah, that was... in
2: fact, yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if, in fact, hundreds of thousands of women were being killed, then it's not the pro-life community that's to blame. It's the pro-choice community that's to blame. Gutenmacher, in 1967, admitted that about 70% Those performing illegal abortions were, in fact, physicians who were coming along as, you know, a kind of a a knight in shining armor to rescue these women. Mary Calderone, who was the medical director of Planned Parenthood, former medical director who went on to found CECUS, she claimed in the 1950s that it was 90% of physicians that were performing abortions. So we also see that as their language began to change and as they began to say, well, first trimester abortion is safe. The majority of, of those that are performing illegal abortions are licensed physicians. They began to admit that the abortion numbers were much lower than what NAREL and others were, were touting previously. We began to see that this also affected, you know, like Harry Blackman, and he wrote about it in the decision for Rose, basically saying that the state did not have a compelling interest in protecting women from illegal abortion. And therefore, the fact that abortion was now safe, he, he used that information from the abortion industry as a reason to push for the legalization of Roe, which I think, again, was part of the entire agenda of switching into these. The more accurate numbers saw uh, members of the pro-choice community, Dr. Christopher Titsi, who was a statistician who kind of went along. I mean, Nathanson said he was a friend of theirs. He was an ally and he didn't really challenge it. But by n- 1967, you know, he really didn't have a choice. I mean, it was becoming more and more clear and at a conference in 1967. He had to admit that the numbers. The, the highly inflated five thousand uh, illegal abortion deaths—he called them unmitigated nonsense—and you know, of course, Titi was no friend of the pro-life side. Titi actually was re- received Margaret, the infamous Margaret Sanger Award, for in 1973, and he was associated with the Population Council, which was an incredibly uh, abortion-saturated organization that actually helped usher in the. Uh, bring the abortion pill RU-486 into the United States years later. So, you know, they walked it back in, in their own little private organizations, and we saw little glimpses of it coming out in some media interviews. But by and large, even today, the media will still allow that that figure to be touted, and they they don't, you know, by and large, uh, walk it back.
1: Well, a couple of other things that Justice Blackman did that, I, in retrospect, I personally am horrified at. One, was that he said that he found the word person, as used in the 14th Amendment, does not apply to the unborn. And the other thing is that we always hear the expression, the trimester. He made that up. That was not a medical yeah. definition.
2: Yeah, the, the, the idea of abortion being safe and the early abortions that were safe, I mean, they needed to kind of push that forward because the states were starting to put these laws out there and of course they didn't want them to be challenged in court uh, which is obviously what happened but they wanted to be able to say it was safe and so yeah you had to have that differential in trimesters of what he put forward so
1: and i suppose we'll never really know what was in the minds of the justices uh when they ruled rv wade i believe it was a seven two decision but we do know that they were given wrong information and that the information was intentionally misleading. That's uh... yeah.
2: In fact, we see that you know I haven't really uh, completely studied the whole uh, decision, but we do know that that there were uh, several quotes in there from Larry Later, who was part of this whole NARAL conspiracy from his book um, that he wrote on abortion. That there were several footnotes in the Roe decision that were quoting his book. Um, We also know, and and I did some looking at this just recently, one of the biographers for uh, Justice Lewis Powell claims that he was approached by one of his um, office aides, you know, prior to Roe. And this gentleman claimed that he had participated in helping his girlfriend perform a self-abortion and she bled out and died. And according to his biographer, he says that Justice Powell supposedly um, went and, you know, kind of vouched for him before a prosecutor and he wasn't charged. And the the biographer claims that as a result that Justice Powell basically believed that women who sought abortions, even if they were whether they were legal or not, that if it was to, to remain illegal, it would drive the practice underground and lead to danger and death. So, whether or not that is an accurate portrayal, i'm not certain, but that is one of the one of the the you know the, the rumors so to speak going forward that that supposedly happened so if you know with these highly inflated numbers, you can see where it it was going to impact people across the board, whether it was the average American or maybe a justice on a local court, a lawmaker in a state or even the supreme court
1: well, one figure we do know is accurate, is in the last 45 years, nearly 60 million babies have been aborted in the United States. And one number we don't know is how many women have been killed by these abortion mills. I mean, look at the Gosnell case. It's not stopping the deaths.
2: Right, again, it did, It wasn't the um, legality of abortion that made it safe. And we see time and again. In fact, one of the things that um, I don't know in, in what you covered, when you were writing back back in those days, but there actually was a time when uh, reporters would actually do some pretty good journalism and in investigations of abortion clinics, and we saw in the early 1970s, the Chicago Sun-Times ran a series of articles showing the horrific conditions inside legal abortion facilities. That was repeated in in my state where I was, in, in Florida, with the Miami Herald that ran a special called Do Not Enter. And they came up with some similar things that were going on with circuit-riding abortionists and, you know, women that were being injured and killed and dying and all sorts of things were going on. So, you know, you fast forward to the Gosnell case where... You know, you, you saw again that the abortion industry and the governing bodies were not doing their due diligence to turn him in or to prosecute him or to call out the things that he was doing. I mean, um, there were quotes that that came about that show that you know even groups like Planned Parenthood knew that women were complaining about the, the conditions inside of his clinic. And you know, we we see that you know by and large, in fact, I think Slate Magazine, I'm not sure if it was in the '90s or not, but They actually wrote uh, an article, um, I think it was entitled The Sisterhood of... Oh, boy, I forgot the rest of it, but kind of uh, alluding to the fact that the abortion industry protects themselves. They protect each other. They don't out one another. And when, in fact, the media does come around like they did in Gosnell, then all of a sudden Gosnell, who was around since the 1970s, for Pete's sake, all of a sudden in the, in, in the 2000s, he's all of a sudden a rogue abortionist. I mean, what happened for the last 30-some years? What was he then? You know, while, while he was having members of the National Abortion Federation come in and, and observe what happened in his clinic, and nobody, you know, nobody said anything, nobody did anything. And so it isn't the fact that abortion is legal that makes it safe we see the character of the abortion industry across the board is one that you know sh- should be called into question if you're going to take the life of a preborn child in the womb how much are you going to value the life of that woman and so we do see that witnesses outside of abortion clinics even today are are documenting the um, numbers of ambulances that are being called to Planned Parenthood's and different abortion facilities around the country, um, they're able to get the actual 911 transcripts or even audio to play. And then, of course, Live Action News and, and Live Action did I actually spoke recently with the brother of, um, of a woman who was killed in July of 2016 after an abortion that she received at a Planned Parenthood in Michigan. And it's a very tragic story. If you ever listen to that 911 tape, it'll just tear your heart out when her mother finds her dead in her, in her room. It's just heart-wrenching.
1: Well, one of the things, <clears throat> of the things that the uh, pro-abortion uh, industry is doing right now is they are challenging laws that require certain medical standards to be met at abortion clinics. And my, my, wife, <clears throat> my wife is a nurse at an endoscopy center, and uh, they have to follow strict regulations everything from sanitation to being trained to having uh access to gurneys and ambulances but not so for abortion clinics every time that law comes up they try to strike it down so no it's, it's right. not a case of, of, of trying to keep women safe
2: Exactly. I mean, the standard is is different when it comes to abortion. It, of course, you know, I'm in Texas, and I we saw that with, with HB two. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, everyone comes out, and of course, the, the we go back to these statistics. They'll say, "Hey, if you restrict abortion, you're going to cause all these women to die." I mean, you should have heard the you know over exaggerating you know calls that were coming forward in our state legislature that women were going to die by the millions if we. You know, restricted abortion to any degree. And all we're doing is putting the same standards that are on other surgical centers that you would expect. But, you know, the abortion industry continues to rally and, and, and oppose those kinds of, um, uh, uh, of means to, to protect women um, with, the, with the medical procedure. And even now they're calling for the home use of, of the abortion pill, they're calling for non physicians to be allowed to perform abortions. When in fact, even um, uh, in the numbers that they they do quote, they they maintain that of the women that did die, the eight percent that uh, Mary Calderon talks about, the eight percent that were either self-inflicted or were performed by non-medical persons. And yet, we see today they're trying to get us to approve non-medical persons, non-physicians, to be able to perform abortion. So the 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 idea of abortion being safe is not in the front of their mind. It's only there when you actually try to to make it illegal and then all of a sudden they want to come out with that argument.
1: Well, Mr. Vella, you certainly opened a lot of doors here and hopefully a lot of minds. As the old saying goes, there are three types of lies. There's the lie, there's the damned lie, and then there are statistics. So I want to thank you so much for being on the program today and shedding light on this subject, and God bless you and your work.
2: Well, it was great to be here. I hope uh, your readers will be able to go to our website, liveaction.org forward slash news, read um, all of the articles we have up there at Live Action News, and follow us on social media and keep in touch with what we're writing, and really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show and to to share with your listeners.
1: Great. Thank you. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime, streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen.
0: World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.